Welcome to Marlene and Bob talking about sex and relationships. And today again we're going to start with a little story about us. We used to argue frequently on Friday nights. Friday night, that was the time that we had set aside to connect with each other. It was a time when we both had stressful jobs and we really looked forward to Friday night. One of us would make a wonderful meal and before we knew it, as we were sitting down, we'd get locked in some kind of an argument and that argument would last all weekend. In fact, I clearly remember one time back in 1989 saying to my deskmate at work, you know what? Bob and I have had a fight every Friday night for the past six months. At the time, I had no idea what was going on. Back in 1989, that was now when I look back at it, our kids were 11 and 15. They were old enough to have a friend over on Friday night or possibly have a sleepover or go to a friend's house or watch a video on their own old enough to not need our attention fully, and we were trying to take advantage of that by putting aside special time. After all, that's what couples are supposed to do, right? Set aside time for each other. Instead, we would get into this argument. The argument could be about anything. But the ultimate outcome was invariably the same. We would not have the leisure and the fun and the sex that we thought we were going to have that weekend. The argument would prevent us from having intimacy, from having a good time with each other. Often we would struggle all weekend and by Sunday night we had, you know, made up enough to become good partners throughout the week and manage our busy lives together. But not enough to play together. And then along would come another Friday night and we would start the vicious circle all over again. At the time, I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. What's going on? So I really remember from what you're saying a number of times when I opened the bottle of wine and we were about to sit down and I would look at you. And we were planning to have a, a good time together, but I would look and I would see something. Now, I think that I made this up, by the way, but I would see something in Marlene's face. And then suddenly I'd say, you know, I can see it. You're going to pick a fight, aren't you? Uh, now, just listen to me. Who's picking the fight, by the way? So, yeah, that would probably be enough to set me off. But other times you would, you know, bring me, like, say, I want to ha- kiss or, or bring me towards you for a hug or, or some sort of sign of physical affection. And I might think or even say, You always want sex, don't you? 
And I think actually we both probably wanted sex, but somehow or other that would come up. I had sort of made up the idea that you were the one who wanted it and I was the one who didn't and that you would somehow have to force me to have it and I would have to somehow resist and and that whole thing, it was just a fight waiting to happen. Now, in a previous podcast, we described the upper limit pattern. The upper limit pattern is where you have a thermostat setting of your ability to feel good, to have fun, to connect with your partner, to give and receive pleasure. And this is pretty classic. Everyone has an upper limit. And when we go over our thermostat setting, we unconsciously do something to bring ourselves back down to a more familiar level. Often we actually bring ourselves down to even lower than we started. So this pattern we're talking about in this podcast is similar, but it's, and it's related to the upper limit pattern, but we call it the preemptive upper limit pattern. The preemptive upper limit pattern, which we now call PULP, P-U-L-P for short, is anything that you do or I do to preempt the possibility of having a good time. It's what I do before I even reach my thermostat setting. You might say that my furnace is set on a very sensitive switch. So that any time I get close to the possibility of that imaginary thermostat setting, that line, I do something unconsciously to sabotage it before it even starts. So let's look at a couple of things here. To want to have sex you have to anticipate it in a positive way. It has to be something that you look forward to. You have to believe that it usually will be fun and pleasurable, and that it will happen without undue stress or conflict or or pressure or blame and criticism. And if this doesn't work, if it isn't fun or pleasurable, if it causes stress and conflict, then you have to believe that you can navigate through that upset with your partner, that you are in a team together, not in an adversarial relationship. So thinking of this preemptive upper limit, it's a way to unconsciously Turn yourself off. It's very easy to get turned off, especially when you've been with someone for a while and that initial romance has worn off. In that initial period, you're pretty generous with your partner and pretty willing to let little things go. But as Drs. Gay and Kathleen Hendricks, our mentors, say, after a period of somewhere less than two years, The inevitable arises. And whatever issues 
you have brought into the relationship start to surface. So, what do you do to turn yourself off? We're going to use some examples in the rest of this podcast that we have used ourselves to sabotage the potential for sex. So one thing that people do as a preemptive upper limit is to bring up a pet peeve, an unresolved issue. You know, couples often have a backlog of issues that they haven't resolved. And they bring up these issues at a time when there's space to bring them up. It's sort of like this garbage pail of things that's sitting there waiting to be looked at. Now, this could be as small as the ongoing argument about putting the kids to bed, or it could be a bigger issue, like the affair someone had. In fact, people might be feeling close and think it's a good time to bring up the issue. But really, it's probably an unconscious way to sabotage the possibility of connection. Now, connection may be scary. Maybe maybe because of a lack of template from our childhood. We never really learned how to feel close and connected. Or, on the other hand, connection is scary because the person who can hurt you the most is the person you're closest to. Closeness and vulnerability are linked, and and you have to be vulnerable to have sex with someone. So when you're feeling vulnerable, it's easy to want to unconsciously sabotage that and preemptively create a drama that will stop the possibility of closeness, intimacy, and sex. I'd like to talk a little bit about expectations. In the first 30 years of our relationship, I often got myself derailed with expectations of what sex should be like. And, you know, we, I would often think, well, sex should be the same as it used to be in the early stage of our relationship. You know, when everything was new, um, we were taking more risks then. We were exploring our sexual boundaries. And we couldn't keep our hands off each other, if you'll remember. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to remember. You know, and sometimes we were sort of in forbidden territory. Or there was no problem. I wanted to please my partner. I wanted to win Marlene over. I wanted to show her my best side. And I had no problem seeing her best side. However, when you compare the sex you are having in a long-term relationship with the sex you had early in the relationship, it does cause problems with expectations and disappointment. And it also can be a problem when you've had a special time way back and you want to recreate it. 
Couldn't we recreate something from 30 years back in our relationship? Like, I remember a time when we used to go to the cottage and Marlene was just the most sexy person possible. At least that was my memory. How come she wasn't doing that anymore? So, letting go of my expectations and being in the present and being open to being surprised with what's going on to happen next certainly is a much better way to enjoy a sexual connection right now. Am I open to being surprised and learning something new? So a similar idea is when we focused on a goal, goal-oriented sex is really a downer. Um, so focusing on a goal or a specific outcome might be a way to unconsciously sabotage the outcome. For instance, focusing on whether or not someone was going to get an erection or even get aroused or, or have an orgasm or, or get your partner aroused or give your partner an orgasm or any other goal you might have usually brings up anxiety. And focusing on the goal is self-defeating. The only goal that's helpful is giving and receiving pleasure. I'd like to talk about all of us who are forgetters and avoiders. Now, it's something that I am very aware of in myself now, and something that I spend a lot of time putting out there in front of myself. So, in the past, I might have had an agreement with my partner to prioritize giving and receiving pleasure, and then I would forget. Hmm. And then it was very easy to simply say, well, you know, this doesn't work. Let's give up on this. It's not working. So, the other question which would inevitably come up was, so who's initiating here? You've forgot you should be initiating. Well, that's a big issue for a lot of people. And by the way, we plan to devote an entire podcast to the issue of initiating. For the person who forgets, and I was certainly that person, it is helpful to acknowledge that there is something that you, and in this case, me, I was avoiding. So another avoiding technique, another way to sabotage potential opportunities for giving and receiving pleasure, is to get busy to think of things that need to be done. And there's always things that need to get done. Or to get busy with the children. It's another way of avoiding and a way of preempting the possibility of having a good time together. And again, it needs to be acknowledged as such. I notice that I'm avoiding. Hmm. I wonder what it is that I'm scared of. I think that's 
a wonderful way to look at it. I'd like to also talk about something a little bit different, and that is pressuring your partner. Now, many of us have probably gone through periods of this, or maybe you're caught in this right now. It's easy to get into demanding. I want to have sex. And using guilt, threats, or another or other psychological force to try to get your partner to have sex when they don't really want to. Now, you may think, oh, I'm just coaxing, or I'm actually seducing my partner. And you may win in the short term. But having sex with someone who doesn't really want to have sex, that really leads to even less wanting to have sex in the future. It is not a sustainable practice. Phew, feels like we've got a very long list. And yes, I think we did do a lot of things in the past. Another one is to do something that you know will turn yourself off or turn your partner off. I mean, it could be just not grooming yourself so you don't you, you feel not quite clean, um, eating or drinking too much so you feel a little bit full or, you know, you can't really get into it. Um, eating something that, you know, your partner doesn't like to smell on your breath, like garlic. Um, wearing something unsexy. One of our, one of the people I knew loved to wear flannel pajamas. And even after her partner told her that they were a huge turnoff, she would wear flannel pajamas when there was the potential. She would sabotage she would preemptively make sure that they wouldn't have sex by dressing in a way that she knew he found a turn-off. Something else, which many of us do, and I certainly used to do, was let's focus on the frequency of having sex. How many times we do it, rather than the quality of sex. So I used to keep track. You know, I would uh, keep track and I would say, well, this was a good one and that one, now nah, that was a fail. You know, and quite often I was keeping track of whether Marlene was a pass or a fail. And this kind of keeping track was really a catastrophe in our relationship. It didn't work at all. I was very aware that you had some unwritten list somewhere of the number of times. I think it was the quantity that you were really focusing on there, the number of times we'd had sex, say, in the past week or month or year. It was a big turnoff for me to think that I had to meet some sort of number. And, you know, I even could see the chart in my head. It was just... a. Um, it was really something that I did for a long time. Now, remembering about sex and its quality is really quite different than looking at the numbers. You know, remembering isn't a bad thing, but 
if you're remembering and appreciating what the quality of sex is between you, and you're remembering what you're learning or what your learning edge is right now and how that was being developed in the last while, that's extremely useful. But the numbers chart, count on it. It's not going to work. So another thing that might happen is feeling criticized for my body or my sexuality. Being attacked or put down is a huge turnoff, especially when it's connected to how I look or how I am as a sexual partner. Now, I do know that in the past, I had some of that in my head. I remember thinking, you know, she has to look a certain way. She has to dress a certain way. And I would use that in subtle ways against Marlene. I was, I think, or I thought at the point, too sophisticated to just mention it and put it in her face, but you know, I was doing it. And it wasn't about appreciation, as I said earlier. Now, it's about appreciation. And the problem is those comments, which actually were few and far between, but you know, if, they are, if they're more, it's even worse. But the comments that you made about my body um, are still there. I still remember them. They still stick. And, and it's very easy to feel shame, especially women, but I think everybody, most of us, have had some sort of negative sexual experience in the past. And, you know, in the work we did with clients, certainly wasn't limited to women. Um, so, you know, these don't have to necessarily be major, although many people have had significant boundaries crossed in childhood and adolescence. And, you know, the number of that is staggering. But even minor negative sexual experiences, um, such as being criticized, being made fun of, experiencing some form of, form of body shaming, even small things can have a big impact. Shame, shame is a combination of emotions and includes a belief that you're fundamentally, fundamentally bad or wrong or dirty. And those negative thoughts and feelings then dominate your self-image, your, your sense of who you are. And, and shame can very easily cause someone to sabotage a potential sexual experience before it even starts. John Gottman developed a uh, series of uh, ideas which he said would probably um, predict whether your relationship would uh, flourish or fail. And uh, he developed something which he called the horseman of the apocalypse, in this case, the relationship apocalypse. And one of them was chronic contempt from your partner and chronic conflict and anger, which comes out of that. Blame and criticism or defensiveness or stonewalling. These practices erode trust and they break down the emotional bond between people. Hence, these sorts of things lead to the failure of relationships. So if you're doing those things, and sometimes both of us have fallen into that, 
then your partner is no longer a trusted, intimate friend who has your back, who can be counted on. But the opposite happens. Your partner becomes an untrustworthy critic. The person who hurts you or maybe can even destroy you. You don't want to be vulnerable with that kind of a person. And as was said earlier, having sex makes us very vulnerable. So if this is happening in your relationship, you may need help from a professional to learn how to deal with conflict in a healthy way. So we're happy to tell you that after years of this pattern, we learn to actually claim it, to acknowledge it as something we were unconsciously doing, acknowledge that we unconsciously wanted to sabotage the potential for connection, for love, and sex. And then we learned, once we acknowledged it, to shift it so you can as well. So what do you want to do here? Well, first, you want to become aware of what you're doing. It was really important for me to say, I am doing this. Acknowledge that to your partner. Reveal to your partner. And then you need to do something together about it. You need to be a team. How can we approach this particular way in which we're behaving as a team to change it. So remember, this isn't about acknowledging what your partner is doing. This is about acknowledging what you are doing. Acknowledge it as an unconscious wish to sabotage the potential for closeness. So I'd like to ask you to think about that. What are your own personal ways you sabotage potential times for connection, emotional as well as physical. One way to start is to think about what turns you off. Make a list. What are the things that turn you off when you thought there might be a potential? And once you've made that list, the list of what turns you off. You can read each, each item on your list with this phrase in front of it. I turn myself off by, and then fill in the blank with something on your list. We got this exercise from Esther Perel, and we found it incredibly useful to own the things that we thought were our turnoffs and own them as our own unconscious desire to sabotage. In a future podcast, we will explore the other side of this. How do I turn myself on? But for now, think about your own part of this pattern your own way that you've been preemptively sabotaging yourself and your partner.